Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Wednesday, October 3rd. In today's news, confidential documents show that President Trump participated in extensive tax avoidance schemes. Corporate interests score a slew of wins from the Trump administration, and Melania Trump arrives solo in Africa. But first, the big idea. At a rally in Mississippi on Tuesday night, President Trump mocked the account of Christine Blasey Ford, the woman who was accused Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh of assault, and he told the crowd that the Me Too movement is unfairly hurting men. Trump, in a riff that has long been dreaded by the White House and top Senate aides, attacked Ford's story at length, drawing laughs from the crowd. The remarks were his strongest attacks yet on her testimony. 36 years ago, this happened. I had one beer, right? I had one beer. Well, do you think it was, nope, it was one beer. Oh, good. How did you get home? I don't remember. How'd you get there? I don't remember. Where is the place? I don't remember. How many years ago was it? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. What neighborhood was it in? I don't know. Where's the house? I don't know. Upstairs, downstairs, where was it? I don't know. But I had one beer. That's the only thing I remember. In fact, Ford has said the incident happened in an upstairs room and that she is 100% certain it was Kavanaugh who assaulted her. Although she has acknowledged that her memories of other details of that 1982 evening remain unclear. Trump then complained to the crowd that Ford's testimony is ruining Kavanaugh's life. Trump, of course, himself has been accused of harassment by more than a dozen women and has been caught on tape bragging about groping women. They destroy people. They want to destroy people. These are really evil people. Michael Bromwich, an attorney for Ford, called Trump's remarks in Mississippi a, quote, vicious, vile, and soulless attack on his client. Trump's attacks could further inflame tensions in the already pitched battle over Kavanaugh's confirmation and alienate moderate key voices like Susan Collins from Maine and Lisa Murkowski from Alaska. Trump had no words of comfort for women like Ford who say they were attacked, raped, or sexually assaulted. His aides have repeatedly urged him not to do what he did last night. They've told him there's no political upside, according to reporting by my colleagues Josh Dossie and Felicia Sonmez. But Trump has grown increasingly frustrated with the Kavanaugh drama as he's watched it unfold on television. And he let it show on Tuesday night. Earlier in the day, as he left the White House, Trump called it a, quote, very scary time for young men in America. Well, I say that it's a very scary time for young men in America when you can be uh, guilty of something that you may not be guilty of. This is a very, very, this is a very difficult time. Meanwhile, FBI leaders are warily trying to navigate their way through the politically charged background check investigation into Kavanaugh. The White House has given the FBI until Friday to provide the results of a week-long inquiry. Officials tell my colleagues that the FBI could finish before Friday. Some outlets are reporting that it could be wrapped up later Wednesday. Yesterday, the FBI interviewed Tim Gaudette, a Georgetown prep school classmate of Kavanaugh. Gaudette's home was the site of a July 1st, 1982 party that Kavanaugh references on his calendar and which might have been the site where Ford was assaulted. Kavanaugh categorically denies any wrongdoing. Gaudette's attorney confirmed an FBI interview took place, but declined to comment further. 
Looking ahead, people familiar with both the FBI and White House deliberations tell us that one political consideration looms larger than any other. If the Democrats win control of the House in November, lawmakers could launch formal investigations into exactly what White House and Bureau officials said internally about the Kavanaugh matter. The White House is refusing to say what constraints they've put on the Bureau's investigation. This could come back to bite them next year. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, a New York Times story that runs over 14,000 words accuses the president of participating in massive tax avoidance schemes and even outright fraud during the 1990s. This added to the fortune he inherited from his father. The Times report is based on confidential tax returns and financial records that the paper obtained. It reveals that since he was a toddler, Trump has received the equivalent of at least $413 million in today's money from his dad's real estate empire. He was earning the equivalent of $200,000 by the age of three. By age eight, he was a millionaire. In 2016, he insisted that he was a self-made man and had only received what at one point he called a small loan from his dad. A major reason that Fred Trump gave so much money to his children the way he did was to sidestep gift and inheritance taxes. Tax experts told the Times that the methods he used were definitely improper and probably illegal. When Trump's dad was in his 80s and had dementia, his family, including Donald Trump, took over the tax evasion effort. New York State Tax Agency responded to the report by saying it is now weighing an investigation into the allegations. On Capitol Hill, some Democrats renewed calls for the president to release his tax returns, which he has repeatedly declined to do so, the first president since Richard Nixon to keep them secret. The White House issued a statement that called the Times story misleading, but declined to elaborate. Number two, several news stories show how corporate lobbyists are winning so much they might get tired of winning, as Trump likes to put it. The Pentagon yesterday pulled its support for a regulation that would have paid defense contractors less money up front on major weapons deals. The move followed pressure from influential lawmakers who were acting at the behest of high-priced defense industry lobbyists. The federal government initially said contractors have been overpaid for years and the regulation would save taxpayers hundreds of millions of dollars and make the U.S. military more efficient. But after defense contractors saw their stocks take a hit and fretted about getting less cash flow, they went into a full court press to reverse the move. Meanwhile, big pharmaceutical companies stand to profit handsomely from the updated North American trade agreement, in some cases at the direct expense of consumers. The pharmaceutical industry won significantly stronger protections for sales of so-called biologic drugs which are typically derived from living organisms and are administered by injection or infusion. Critics say that the updated NAFTA shields the industry from future legislative attempts in D.C. to shorten biologic drug monopolies. And the EPA, meanwhile, is pursuing its own rule changes to weaken the way that radiation exposure is regulated, leaning on a handful of industry-funded scientists who argue that a little bit of radiation exposure is actually good for you. Really, supporters of the EPA's new proposal argue that the government's current rules force unnecessary spending on handling radiation exposure. Critics 
say the proposed change would lead to higher levels of exposure for workers at nuclear installations and oil and gas drilling sites, medical workers who do x-rays and CAT scans, people living next to Superfund sites, and honestly, any member of the public who one day might find themselves exposed to a radiation release. Finally, new data from the Wall Street Journal reveals that very few companies are putting their windfall from the Trump tax cuts toward increasing wages for workers. This undercuts a central GOP rationale for cutting the corporate tax rate from 35% to around 20% last December. All told, though, lobbyists are earning their keep in the Trump era. Number three, Melania Trump kicked off her week-long tour of Africa with a stop in Ghana. Although the First Lady's trip is considered a gesture of goodwill, it also appears to some critics to be out of step with her husband's policies. The First Lady's stops, for instance, largely highlight programs funded by the U.S. Agency for International Development, even though her husband continues to demand massive cuts to its budget and the very programs she's touting. Congress ultimately voted to fund USAID even after the administration tried to slash it because of alarm in humanitarian circles that it would diminish efforts to combat AIDS and malaria. Melania Trump also stopped by a hospital to visit new mothers. She passed out miniature teddy bears and blankets emblazoned with the logo for Be Best, her child welfare initiative. Unlike her predecessors, Mrs. Trump has to contend with the baggage of her husband's belittling comments about African nations that made headlines across the continent earlier this year. Now she's on her way to Malawi, then Kenya, and finally Egypt. And that's The Daily 202 for Wednesday, October 3rd. Thanks for listening. I'm James Hellman. I'll talk to you tomorrow.